Here's your question. What is the reason why a church exists? When Jesus told the disciples to wait and not do anything without the Holy Spirit, what do you think he intended for the church? Any church, our church. It's a really important question. You know, we we sang those words, didn't we? Uh, Holy Spirit, come and blow on through. We're ready for you. I, I don't I don't believe the church is ready for him. I I think we're probably further away than we have been for a long time in this land about being ready for the Holy Spirit. And yet we can we can sing these songs. And we can sing them week after week across the land and not see the Holy Spirit bring revival to our land because we're not ready. And I believe that if Jesus meant anything at all by wait for the Holy Spirit and don't do anything till he comes, he meant that to be part of our everyday lives, our ordinary lives, that we would have an awareness of his presence wherever we go because he's our first point of referral. He's the, the wisdom that we draw on. He's the strength that we need. And in so doing, we carry the presence of the Spirit. And this morning, I, I, I just want to talk a little bit about my journey with the Holy Spirit, but also why it's so important that he takes his place in our church. Because he's not a warm feeling that leaves in the car park. He, he's not something we come to experience and then go out the door and think, well, that was a good service. The Holy Spirit came. The manifest presence of the Holy Spirit, if we're ready, He'll leave the building with us and go where we go. And, and that's why it, it's so key. So I just want to share some things with you this morning. I, I don't know how far we'll get, but it, it doesn't really matter. 
um, because the Holy Spirit's on this. But you know, I, I was when I was making these these notes and these reflections, I said, Holy Spirit, what what do you want me to say? And and whilst I only speak for faith life, this isn't really about us. It's about where the body of Christ is. And I said, Holy Spirit, do you, what do you want me to say? And he said, I want you to make this statement that I, the Holy Spirit, I'm the most ignored person in church. And I think that's true. Many don't even know who he is, let alone why he's here and, and what, what's supposed to happen when he is here. And because of that, we we don't have any expectation of him being here. And then he said to, the, to me this. I am also the most misunderstood person in church. You see, the Holy Spirit doesn't just belong to a denomination, of a stream, of a movement. In a sense, he inhabits every believer. And so, the Holy Spirit doesn't have this concept of the, there'll be little bits of the church that call themselves charismatics or Pentecostals or whatever. And they're the bits that do the stuff. And the rest of the church doesn't. See, the Holy Spirit's meant to be across the church, his whole body. That's why for every believer, our spirit becomes one with the Holy Spirit when we're born again. To, so we can enter into that. And yet there's just an absence of that being known within the body of Christ. Now, we might not be aware of the extent of that because we exist in a little tunnel. And it's kind of a charismatic, faithy sort of tunnel. But I just wonder, and the Holy Spirit said he wondered too, what happens when those who are charismatics turn their back on the Holy Spirit and still call themselves charismatic. Where's the charismat? Where, where's the charismat? Where's the, the movement of the Spirit? You see, the Holy Spirit is not just a question of choice or consumer state, a, a, a consumer taste or a preferred religious flavor. And, and we might choose churches, our church, because we prefer this flavor of church. 
But that doesn't mean that's how God intended it. it he's not somebody you can pick and choose uh, by if you want to or ignore if you don't want to. Here's the thing, the biggest thing, I think. The Holy Spirit said this, that he's often the most uninvolved person in the church. So not only is the most ignored or misunderstood, but even for those who understand, he's often the most uninvolved. That, that we like to do our meetings the way we like to do our meetings. And to an extent, we in the body of Christ have absorbed this um, lie that if you let the Holy Spirit guide your meeting, people won't stay and people won't get saved. So in order for that to happen, we don't need the Holy Spirit. And by the way, we can only manage an hour. Because that would be too inconvenient. And you guys don't have the intention, attention span to manage more than an hour. However, you have just managed more than an hour. So that's not true, is it? But we conditioned the body of Christ to... Uh, a one-hour conference format. And then we wonder why we're less than 2% of the population who actually turn up at church. Why? Because we don't involve the only one with the power to change that situation. We, um, and I asked the Holy Spirit about this, and he said, I said, how do you see it? And this is what he said. Well, well, son, it's like having someone in your church who's the best musician, the best worship leader, the best preacher, is awesome at pastoral care, the most consistent leader, the greatest strategist, the most outstanding administrator, and leaving them sat on the bench and picking a different team. That's what happens when we don't involve the Holy Spirit. And I say this because we live in this little tunnel where our Facebook posts or our Instagram posts or whatever it is now, TikTok or whatever, I don't know. I've lost lost the plot now how many of these things there are. But where it just echoes back to us our own views. So we think everybody's like us when in fact very few people are like us. It's just that we know all the people who are like us and they know us. But the bulk of that 2% aren't like us at all. And, and they don't know about the things of the Spirit. Now, I was saved in a church that was a really good church. 
and I was saved through their youth group. And what happened was that I knew nothing of the Holy Spirit for the first six years of my Christian existence. Nothing. I knew the Apostles' Creed had this unknown in it called the Holy Ghost. And I had no idea what a Holy Ghost was because nobody ever talked about him. Nobody ever uh, mentioned him, let alone seemed to have anything to do with him. And, and I, I remember in my second year at university, something started to stir. And what stirred was this, is that I made a mistake. And here's the mistake I would like you all to make. I read the book of Acts and asked the question, what's my response? So I'm there, my, my little brain, teenage, well, not quite teenage, but 20-year-old brain trying to work out why do these things happen in the book of Acts and nobody talks about them and I don't see them? And I, and I remember talking to somebody. I used to get a lift to university with this, this lovely lady called Judith Feltham who, who died a few years ago. And she used to pick me up in the morning, take me to university. She worked there uh, and I was uh, staying on her way there. So she used to pick me up and, uh, and drop me off in the morning. And, and I'm reading, I'm, I'm having this conversation with her like day after day. Like I'm reading the book of Acts and, and here's the problem I'm encountering. The, the level of interaction that the people had compared to the lack of interaction we have with this person called the Holy Spirit. And I, I'm saying, I, I don't, there's, there's a disjoint here I'm not understanding. That that we can read about this and yet be okay that we don't see this and have this in our own life. And and there's a this kind of a a level of living and certainty that they had that we don't have. And and I'm asking these questions and of course none of it adds up because I I don't have any grounding in any of this. So I'm just confused and I'm just asking questions. But I did start to wonder how you live that way. Is it, is it possible to live that way? Does actually God still do stuff like this? Because in my upbringing, the devil seemed to have everything loaded on his side and we didn't seem to have much at all apart from nice, faithful people. And, and so I, I'm really struggling with this disjoint. And the more I struggled with it, the more it became clear to me how much they, um, how much they looked to, how much they depended on, and how much they interacted with the Holy Spirit. You know, I... The, the, if I just went through um, the book of Acts, 
I, I don't want you to look at them up. But it's right through. You know, it, it, it really starts very early when uh, Peter seems to have revealed to him directly from the Holy Spirit that these this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, are lying to him. And how does he know they're lying to him? Because the Holy Spirit told him because they're lying to the Holy Spirit. And he turns around and says, you're not lying to me, you're lying to the Holy Spirit. How, how did you think you were going to get away with that? And then um, he, he comes out with this statement, we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So he's not just saying, I can see the, the, these, these amazing things that, that is happening, but the Holy Spirit's witnessing them right here and right now. He's aware of what's going on. And then uh, Acts eleven twelve, the Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with these people. How did the Spirit tell them? And then Acts thirteen four, the two of them sent on their way, not by the people who sent them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. Acts fifteen twenty eight. It seems good to the Holy Spirit and us not to burden you with anything beyond fulfilling these requirements. Acts sixteen six. Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. How does the Holy Spirit stop somebody preaching? How does he keep them from doing that? When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas, and during the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing begging, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, he got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding the Holy Spirit had called him to preach the gospel to them. And, and I could go on and on. Verse 20, uh, Acts twenty twenty two. And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen when I get there. Acts nineteen twenty one. After all this happened, Paul decided in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. How do you decide in the spirit? And so I, I'm struggling with all this and thinking, well, how does, how does that work now? Does it work now? Because I wasn't seeing that pattern in my own experience or in my church experience. And I don't think we are yet seeing that pattern in our own church experience here and now. But one of the things that, that is so clear about these people when they're encountered by unbelievers is the unbelievers know and accuse them of having been with Jesus. So where's Jesus? How, how close are we to him? And, and, and something started to stir within me. And um, so I went in pursuit of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not going to tell you the whole story this morning. I just want you because that's for another time. 
But I went in pursuit of the Holy Spirit, knowing nothing and having been taught nothing. And yet I found him. Knowing nothing and having been taught nothing, what was happening? The word was stirring within me. So when, when things stir within us, we have a choice. Do we follow through on that or do we just leave it there? And, and many times we leave it there. When the word that is stirring within us needs to be followed through. Because when a word stirs within you, that means that Holy Spirit is on it. You see, Jesus explains this, that the word is a seed that the Holy Spirit is able to germinate in your heart. And when you sense the germination, that means that's where the life is. And we pursue life. And, and what I didn't know then is that that stirring inside to go after the things of the Spirit was in fact the Holy Spirit stirring in me. I didn't know that at the time. So he was stirring in me to lead me to him. And he, he was teaching me and drawing me to himself. And, and I think it's really sad that believers really often don't recognize or understand those stirrings within them. In fact, in many instances, believers who tried to express what was stirring in them and that, that hunger stirring in them had been put down by leaders in the church. And that's, that's a problem. It's a big problem. Because those leaders themselves didn't understand. Now, we've had a journey as a church with the Holy Spirit. We, we've always welcomed the Holy Spirit. But we've not always done it well. And... Um, There's points in history where the Holy Spirit has moved in certain places and certain nations very powerfully. We call them revivals or outpourings or moves of God or whatever. And often when these things have happened, it, it affects the churches beyond where it actually happened. And, you know, many of us have, have lived through one or two of those, if not more. And here's the, here's the thing, a couple of years later, you, you get churches saying, well, we've moved on from that. And, you know, we, we, that was just for them. No, the Holy Spirit is for the church for all time. And the problem is we confuse certain things and that leads us to reject what God is doing or to sideline it, or to try and control it and put it in a certain um, box. So because we, I, I don't believe, personally, I don't believe anybody ever got fed up of the manifest presence of God. 
I believe what they got fed up of is the manifestation. And the manifestations are not the manifest presence. And the manifestations might just be for one person at that time and, or, or for other times. And yet, because we, didn't, we felt uncomfortable with the manifestations, we rejected the manifest presence. And worse than that, we tried to re reproduce the manifestations from the flesh because we thought that was the response that was needed. And, and, and because of that, the whole thing loses its currency. More people start to reject it. And, and I think also, you know, wh when you look at back, when the, the time I'm talking about is the tail end here, my, ex my first discovery, is actually earlier than that. It's the tail end of the charismatic renewal. And in that renewal... The Holy Spirit birthed whole groups of churches, whole new churches. It brought life to traditional denominations. And, and the Holy Spirit was moving not just in our land, but across the world. But while we were enthusiastic about it, we weren't responsible in the way we handled it. We weren't responsible in two ways, one of which is we, we just let all the gifts run wild and never tested any prophecy and never tested any words. And we, didn't, we had no accountability in the way we were using the gifts. As a result, they became abused and lost their currency. And the second thing we did is... We took what the Holy Spirit was doing, and this is still the danger any time the Holy Spirit moves. We took what the Holy Spirit was doing, and we used it to build our own ministries and own platforms and own conference speaking and own movements. As a result, we got the glory and Jesus didn't. That sort of movement is destined to fade. It doesn't actually stop. We just end up reproducing in the flesh what used to be the spirit to try and keep it going. Here's some things that I've discovered over the years about the absence of the Holy Spirit in church. Without the Holy Spirit... Christianity, that relationship that we've been talking about, reverts to being a religion. Because without the Holy Spirit, there is no life accompanying the actions or the events. As a result, it becomes dry, monotonous, routine, mundane, and so we try and spice it up a bit, and now it becomes hard work and very expensive. Because we're trying to do what the Spirit was doing, replacing that with human means. And the only human means we have is effort and money. So we train ourselves how to be really good at these sort of things. 
when really what we needed was to repent of where we got to and train ourselves in relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Second thing that happens with churches without the Holy Spirit. Before I go through the list, I probably need to say, why am I telling you this? Why am I saying this? Because I don't want us to be like this. And the, the weight of evidence is, over the years, is that we will revert to something like this if we don't keep in mind the cost of not having the Holy Spirit leading us to Jesus and making Jesus the centre of all we do. So what do we, we end up with secondly? Well, without the Holy Spirit, church will transform into a social club. It's something we are a member of, and we go along to, and we attend, and we enjoy, and it's kind of our flavour and our taste, and, and we like the people there, and these people tell me how amazing I am, and how wonderful I am, and how blessed I am, and they seem to bless me, and I bless them, and, and it's lovely. My mum and dad used to belong to something like that. It was called the British Legion. British Legion Club, working men's clubs. Only we do it really well now, because we've got lots of money and lots of effort now, so let's do it really well. But the trouble is, once it becomes on that status, you are left with an organisation that you now need to work really hard to sustain and grow. And it becomes, church somehow morphs from a place where we celebrate and encounter Jesus that is just one part of our week that we live with Jesus. And somehow it morphs into this project that we need to make successful and grow and sustain and keep going. And when we're getting a bit old and, and, and a bit older than we were, like I'm not as young as when we started, somehow it then becomes a project that you need to get in the right sort of shape so you can pass on and somebody else will sustain it for your legacy. And we get, this is just wrong thinking. It's just crazy thinking, but wherever we, wherever there's an absence of the Spirit, this is the thinking we will get into. Number three, without the Holy Spirit, there is no revelation. Cheryl and I have been talking about this this week, which is the propensity of people to do one line or two line of quotes which are just requoting something that somebody else said in something they were attending. That's not revelation, that's a like attractor for Facebook. Revelation is not the same as communication. Now, I believe and I've been trained in good, clear communication. But revelation is not a TED talk. 
Do you know what a TED Talk is? Good. Anybody not know what a TED Talk is? Okay. That's few enough for me not to explain it. Catch me afterwards. <laughs> but Revelation isn't a TED Talk. You see, you could be the best communicator on earth and still have no revelation. That was probably Paul before Jesus found him. There's incredible communicators in all sorts of fields. Just brilliant, brilliant people at communicating. You know, people that, that connect, if you, if you just think of, of music, things where people were brilliant communicators and connected. People like the Beatles captured a, a, an age. People like David Bowie. You know, the, the brilliant communicators in what they do, but that's not revelation. And yet, in the absence of the spirit, that's all we've got to bring into the church. So we hire ourselves professionals who are brilliant communicators, and we never ask the question, how long are you in the secret place? And, and did you get this yourself, or did you read this in a book? Are you just telling me this because you think I'll come back next week? I'm telling you this because I don't care whether you come back or not next week. I care whether you connect with Jesus and whether you're going to get through what is to come. Because what is to come is not the same as what has been. Here's the fourth one that is often, I think, misunderstood or uh, misread. Where the with the absence of the Holy Spirit, there is no freedom. Now, you all know the verse, don't you? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. In fact, there's lots of songs, well, several songs written about that. And, and I'm thinking, well, you know, compared to the liturgy I grew up with, this is pretty free. In fact, most churches are pretty free compared to the liturgy I grew up with. 1666 prayer book. Which got revamped in 1992 and became vaguely understandable. At which point I used to get cork out. Because I, I can still do most of the prayer book services from memory. And when they changed the words, I was still doing the old ones. But I was sticking out. like as, This is as a teenager. I was sticking out like a sore thumb. Because I was still in the old language. So I'm thinking this is pretty pretty free, but the reality is if you talk to most Christians, they feel stuck and anything but free and just weighed down with the weight of life. They don't feel light and free. They feel burdened and weighed down and tired. And in freedom... I'm not talking about service style. You can be as free in a traditional service as you can in a non-traditional service. This isn't, it's not about service style. It's about the absence or presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. You could be the only person in the room who is aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit and you will be free when everybody else is weighed down and tied down. 
irrespective of the type of service. What am I talking about when I'm talking about freedom? I'm talking about the power that changes lives. In the absence of the spirit, there is no power to break free of addictions. That's why, and, they, and these are from America, so I don't have the figures from England. In the church in America... 68% of men are regularly viewing porn and 33% of women. And close to 50% of pastors. That's a lack of freedom from an addiction because there's no power of the spirit. Because these things are addictive and that the only way you get free of them is the spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the power that breaks the yoke that holds us in sin. The Holy Spirit is the only one that can give you freedom from a past of pain and hurt and failure. And abuse. You can't do that by a mental exercise or a psychology program or self-help program that examines your past in every minute detail and tries you to get you to sort things out from there. There is no freedom in the past. The past has happened. The freedom comes from the Holy Spirit who breaks that hold on your heart. So here's, here's the question. You see, people come up with this. If I read this verse, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And the, the, the thing they say is, well, the Holy Spirit is everywhere. Technically correct. Absolutely true. The Holy Spirit is in me. Technically correct. Absolutely true. I have just told you two truths. Did it change your life? No. Because something can be absolutely true. You can believe something to be absolutely correct. And in the absence of the Holy Spirit, it won't change your life. Because there's no power to change your life. So we can go through life as the church in the West or the church worldwide and just reiterate and put truth on Facebook and things on Facebook and little statements that everybody catches on and we all sit there and we all parrot them out every time there's a problem and nothing changes because there's no power. It is true that the Holy Spirit is everywhere and he's in every one of us right now. So they say, so therefore I should be free because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, but I'm not. So what's wrong? And, and over time we get disillusioned with God. We think we've been sold a lemon. Here's what's wrong. That verse doesn't say that.
Here's what the verse says in the original language and in good translation. Where the Spirit is Lord, there is freedom. The only way we have freedom in our life is if the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, is Lord in our life. You can't get there by rules, you can't get there by traditions, you can't get there by motivational speaking, you can't get there by self-help programs, even if they're titled ministry programs, and you can't get there by belonging to a social club. You can only get there by Jesus being Lord. And one of the things, It's not one of the things, but the thing I find really challenging at the moment is that I think we've got ourselves in such a state in the body of Christ that we're just all confused now. We're confused about what the Bible actually says and, and what it really means. Because we've got so used to taking little truths and talking about them as if they were all of the truth. And if you're not in my corner, you haven't got the same little truth as me. You must be wrong. So we'll have an argument about it. And we're arguing about bits of truth without it being all of the truth. So having said that, let me give you a little bit of truth from my corner. Here it is. We have a, a fundamental, this is what I observe, we have a fundamental uh, belief in the church that somebody gets saved and then needs to be discipled. And, and that's pretty well written in the way most of us think. And, and it's not an unhelpful thing. But actually it's wrong. You want your revelation. You're going like, well, that's right. It's right. Well, discipleship is about following Jesus and becoming more like him. So there's more of him and less of you. Yeah, and and I am nitpicking to show you why these things have just got confused in our heads. And so we have this idea that that somebody gets saved, and over time, given enough time and given enough programs and effort by the church, and and one to one discipleship, eventually, about ten, twenty years down the line, they'll start to scrub up really well. And so we, we focus on discipleship programs to change people. That's the absence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus threw a hundred demons or more out of one person and the next day he's the best evangelist in the land. There's something gone wrong with our process.
And it's just the way we think about things. And we think about things like this because we underestimate the power of the Spirit and we see things from our perspective. What do I mean by our perspective? Here's what I mean. We see things from a me perspective. What is Christianity going to do for me? How's Christianity going to make me prosper? How's Christianity going to make me feel better about myself? How is Christianity going to make me feel happy? How am I going to get blessed by this God who just blesses people? How's all that going to happen? And so we talk about all this, but we've missed something really fundamental. And because of that, we lack power. And we lack confidence. And we lack certainty. The certainty that these guys had in Acts about what the Holy Spirit was guiding them to do. The only thing that I can say in my experience, again, recent experience, over the years, is that over those years, many people have come to Cheryl and I and said, God told me to. And at that words usually is the biggest alarm bell I've ever come across because the reality is almost everybody that said that to me has made a bad choice. Why? Because, not because God did or didn't tell them to, but we just have this uncertainty that we really don't know what God's saying because we haven't latched on to this investment in our own relationships with God in the secret place. So you've got people who have no relationship played out in the secret place coming and saying, God told me to. And I'm going, no, we didn't. And, and that path leads to problems and disillusionment. Anyway, back to my point. The normal pattern of Christianity is not that you join church or sign up to church or receive Jesus into your heart or however you want to say it and then take 20 years to get discipled going through all these glitzy programs that we've written things to do. The issue isn't the programs or the 20 years or the desire to change. The issue is we fundamentally misunderstood what it means to be a Christian. Christianity is not making you a good version of you. Christianity starts somewhere very different from where we're starting it. Christianity starts with dying to self and Christ living in you. We want the benefits and blessings and prosperity and all the stuff that comes with Christ living in me without ever dying to self. In fact, it's, it's kind of anathema in a lot of people that are my friends to even say that. That we're supposed to be dead to self. That's the whole point of baptism. Cheryl and I 
uh, we're watching lots of baptism, uh, pe people getting baptized before we came to church this morning. And it was amazing. It was wonderful. But the whole point of it is not that they were doing that 10, 15 years down the line because they wanted to be a church member. They were doing that because they were getting saved there and then. And, and, and so they were, they were, they were being baptized. And, they, and he, he was saying to them, why, why do you want to... Why do you want to be baptized? Because I want to be free of sin. I want, to, I, want to, I want to live for Christ. I want to die because my life's a mess. I want to die for, to self and live for Christ. I want him to be my everything. I want this to be about Jesus. And yet, all the time, I'm getting fed stuff from people who are well-known people you know, that I know, and it basically says, you're wonderful, you don't need to change. Don't let anybody tell you that you've ever done anything wrong. That's, that's not the gospel. It just isn't. Because Jesus would have real problems in Revelation when he wrote them seven letters telling the churches what they'd done wrong if that was the case. And, and Paul, he, theology was obviously really dodgy because he kept telling people what they shouldn't do and telling them to turn from it. He was talking to believers. And yet, because we like it all to be about us, because we forgot that we died to self. We don't want to be told anything that doesn't make us feel instantly happy. Until 2020. When everything gets stripped. And then we look round and we wonder why the church in the West has lost a generation in two years. Church going in America was at 35% in 2018. It's now less than 20% and rapidly falling. In the UK, we went there a long time ago. This isn't a me-centered gospel. It's a Jesus-centered gospel. It's him living through me. And in the absence of the Holy Spirit, all we're left with is a church that's about me. That's terrible. I think I'll just finish with this thought. Can I have the worship team back up, please? I'm going to John chapter 14. Jesus did not say that the Christian life was happy. So we need to stop Trying to make people happy. 
what we need is to stop buying the tickets to go to things to make us happy in the church world. We need instead to receive what only the Holy Spirit can give us. Joy. Confidence. And the thing that Jesus says, the thing that we need more than anything else in this world, peace. See, when Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit coming, this is what he said, the comforter, counsellor, helper, intercessor, advocate, strengthener and standby. That's what the the, the whole thing means. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, that means in my place to represent me and act on my behalf as I instruct him. He's the one who's going to teach you all things. In the absence of the Holy Spirit, we become unteachable. He will cause you to remember, remind you of, and bring to your recall everything I have said. So, my peace I leave with you. My own peace I now give you and bequeath you. And it's not going to be as the world gives peace. So don't let your hearts be troubled or afraid. Stop allowing yourselves to be agitated and disturbed. And do not permit yourselves to be fearful, intimidated and unsettled. Joy and peace are not the same as happiness. Happiness goes up and down with circumstances. Joy and peace are constant. Joy and peace cannot be given or obtained from the world. Joy and peace come from the Holy Spirit, not as the world gives. In the absence of the Spirit... We're left with trying to get happiness. And it won't see us through what's coming. Joy and peace will. Amen. So I'd like to go back to the we're ready for you, come and blow on through. And then if you're not ready, then ask him to make you ready. And if you are ready, then sing it with everything you've got, eh? So, Father, we thank you. We praise you. We glorify you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We welcome you. We welcome you to speak to our hearts now, to remind us of the things that you've said, to be our teacher. Thank you, Lord.